0: out of four and three bikes in the championship, top four. Somebody slow these Ducatis down. Welcome to Bike Life. Let's go yeah, to welcome to episode 52 of Bike Life here in Motorsport 101 as we look back on the second round of the Superbike World Championship that took place in Buriram in Thailand last weekend. Uh, and another fantastic weekend of superbike racing as the uh, the victories were split between Jonathan Ray and Chas Davies this weekend. Which may sound to you as if it was much more of the same from years gone by. But the early stages of this season seem to indicate that this year's World Superbike Championship is going to be a little bit different. We will talk all about the two races that took place in Thailand uh, with myself and Andrea Harrison. As well as the voice of the World Superbike Championship on Eurosport, Greg Haynes joins us once again later on in the show. Um, to give us his progress report on the 2018 World Superbike and Supersport Championships. Well worth a listen uh, later on in the show. Um, we'll talk all about the two races in Thailand. As I say, Jonathan Ray and Chas Davies splitting victories, Marco Melandri losing the championship lead, Chavi Forres emerging as a real victory contender on the Ducati, and much, much more. We'll also talk about all things World Supersport, uh, as Kinnislufoglu edges closer to retirement, uh, and his uh, successor as champion, Lucas Mahias. Um, was taken down a peg or two um, by Randy Krummenacker in the Supersport race last weekend. We'll also talk about the opening race weekend of the 2018 CEV season as the Moto3 Junior World Championship and Moto2 European Championships got underway. And we'll also talk about some big news that's broken this week concerning this year's Suzuka A Tower. Trust me, it is an absolute blockbuster. Um, As I mentioned, Greg Hayes joins us later on, but joining me um, initially to look back on the Thailand World Superbike round, uh, it's Andre Harrison. Welcome, Andre.
1: I've been replaced. Um, (laughs) Greg gets 40 minutes of airtime and is the longest interview we have had with anybody on either show, which is fantastic. So uh, thanks, Greg. Um, (laughs) uh, I've not been upstaged in the slightest, Um, but uh, yes, I'm here as always, and uh, yeah, what a a Very interesting weekend of superbike racing indeed. It was one where, yeah, the results seemed very obvious on paper, but if you read between the lines, there was a lot going on and a lot to dissect. So I can't wait to get into it.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about it in just a second. But first, let's uh, fill you in on the places you can find us, if you weren't aware already. Uh, We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. On Twitter, we are motorsport underscore 101 for our personal handles at lewisw twenty three at Harrison10HD, and not that he needs to follow us, at Greg Haynes TV. Um, you can also find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, if you like us so much that you want to back us financially and any you also have early access to both this show and Motorsport 101, uh, by backing us at the $5 level, you will achieve that. That's by heading to Patreon, patreon.com. Forward slash motorsport 101. Uh, ten dollars access earns you access to our Discord server where you can listen in to the motorsport one hundred and one recordings as they happen. And this week's episode, episode one two nine, episode party mode engaged. It's entitled. Um, I'd love to know who came up with that. It's a brilliant title. Um, but um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's given that title um, based on Sebastian Vettel's victory at the weekend over Lewis Hamilton. Um, I guess Dre, what goes around comes around, right?
1: Of course, of course the guy that has been like playing down Ferrari's chances pretty much since last December. Of course he went to the opening round of the season again. Um, serves me right as I like I basically recorded the entire podcast with egg on my face. It was kind of embarrassing really. Um, but uh, yes, it w- it was kind of a carnage filled 90 minutes um, there's adverts, there is an upgrade to the sin bin, there is Pokemon related music in there somewhere. Don't ask me why. Not my not my creative decision, but it somehow actually works. Um, but, but, uh, and of course, breaking down everything that took place at Albert Park from from uh, Sebastian Vettel's win, the software bug that seemingly like nailed Lewis Hamilton's chances of victory. The lack of overtaking, ESPN's debut race not going according to plan, um, basically, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Episode 129, Party Mode Engaged, will be up by the time you listen to this show. Check it out.
0: Yeah, that's with uh, Andre Harrison, uh, Ryan King, Zoe Hamilton, Chris DeHardy and RJ Alonso's back, um, (laughs) O'Connell, on on this week's edition uh, of Motorsport 101. Right then, let's get cracking with episode 52 of Bike Live. Um, episode 52, uh, the number, of course, of a fair, former World Superbike champion. And it's kind of fitting that we're talking about World Superbikes uh, on this week's show. Um, and we, we have to start, unfortunately, on a bit of a, a sour note and an unfortunate accident that really overshadowed race two in the end. Uh, a horrendous wreck um, for Eugene Laverty and Jordi Torres. Laverty going down um, at turn seven in the infield section of the circuit. Uh, he was run over. Um, to know, on, on, no intents and purposes, by Jordi Torres's MB Augusta. Um, Eugene Lamity has been diagnosed with a broken pelvis. Um, he uh, broke the right side of his lower pelvis. Um, he's gone under. He's undergone surgery since uh, on those internal injuries, um, and he's been ruled out of the next three World Superbike weekends, uh, which take place at Aragon, Assen, and Imola. He's hoped to be back. In time for Donington, which is in two months' time, uh, at the end of May. Um, I mean, Drake, First of all, thank goodness he's all right, but a horrendous, another horrendous piece of luck for Aprilia. who have had plenty of it in these first two rounds.
1: Indeed. Um, yeah, I did. I did not. I did not know the extent of the accident until after the race itself, when uh, a couple of guys and you know people that were in the uh, in the Aprilia camped basically revealed that yeah he had been basically run over by Jordi torres um a, a, a horrendous accident um it's probably why we didn't see it get replayed live on air because of the graphic nature of that accident it's a uh, broken pelvis it's very similar to sebastian borde's injury he took it, it took during the indy 500 qualifiers and that horrendous one you probably saw go viral that uh him bouncing off an inside wall at 230 miles an hour um as you and do those but injuries
0: th- are no joke
1: no broken pelvis is bad that's really bad um and yeah like no no matter what training like eugene's lucky to be alive right now um and um thank goodness he will make a full recovery um given the context of his injuries and given how it happened um Let's just say we've been here before when it comes to um, you know being ridden over by accident, and um, sadly other riders involved have not been so lucky um, on that one. But uh, the, like the, 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 I just saw the horrendous image like during that live race of Laverty being down, but like Laverty not being able to have the to feeling in his legs. That must yeah, have just been
0: basically waiting for help.
1: Yeah, like the, like that's not normal for a bike rider. Like bike riders will normally bounce right back up, or at least you know. They'll, they'll crawl into the fetal position or I something like. Like Laverty was down, basically screaming for help, and that is that's chilling. No matter which way you slice it, you, um, that's that was awful to see. I don't know why that race wasn't red flagged. like, given especially given because yeah, they, they passed him at racing speed. The lap later, uh, I was like, what the hell is going on? How the hell was that not red flagged? I like I, I, it's. That was a, a poor, poor decision. From, because from yeah, it just
0: pure racing
1: logic tells you if one rider can go down there, another one can. Absolutely. And they were what? Like, I'd say 10 feet from the racetrack itself. I do not understand why that race was allowed to continue. Um, just awful to, um, to see that. Like, the, the race going there at full racing speed, literally as Laverty is getting medical attention from the stewards. I, I do not understand that whatsoever. Um, I want answers from Race Direction as to why that was why that was allowed to happen. That was stupid, in, in my humble opinion. Um, but yeah, like in in any case, wishing Eugene a very speedy recovery. He's he's, he's had like that. Pretty looks a lot better than it was in, in in previous years, and they were up there challenging on occasion already this season. So that's a real shame for Eugene that he's going to basically have his championship derailed here. Um, with you know missing three weekends um, but of course a very speedy recovery to the plucky Irishman um, and again hope to see him on a bike again and um, fully fit as soon as possible
0: yeah we wish Eugene all the very best Pretty left looking for answers almost to the point of looking for another rider um, at yeah. the moment and uh, no obvious replacement out there I mean they've as I said had the, had the most horrendous look at the start of the season with Savadori breaking his collarbone in Phillip Island in Super Bowl, uh when he was looking quick Um, he's only just returned from injury Salvadori of course injured himself at this round last year and missed a round uh, Mm -hmm. when he had that oil spill onto his rear tyre in in the second race in Thailand last year Um, no obvious replacement for them because most of the riders who are either experienced or qualified to race in World superbikes are already in contract with other teams because we're so early in the season um, hey. you know, it's too early in the season for a rider to have been jettisoned from his team already, so it is difficult to to kind of imagine where a rider search will start for a Greg Haynes gives us a bit of an insight onto that and to where he thinks that rider search will go um, a little bit later in the show. Well, let's talk then about the racing that we got um, in Thailand, um, putting the horrendous injury and accident to Eugen Laverty um, to one side, and let's start on Saturday with Super Pole and Race One. Super Pole. Um, went the way of Kawasaki. They took a one-two with Ray taking the pole. Um, unusually taking pole with his second lap on a qualifying tyre. Um, usually the fastest times are set on the first lap. He set the fastest time on his second and beat Tom Sykes by three thousandths of a second, um, denying Sykes the all-time pole record um, that he currently shares with Troy Corsa. Um, Ray would then go on to win race one. But even though he won the race, Ray, he, he, he won it reasonably comfortably. He won it by a second and a half. Um, from Xavi Forrows, with Chance Davis close behind in third he, he led it from start to finish but he never led it by enough of a gap to suggest that he was comfortable out there
1: yeah it was very telling that uh, Jonathan could only put a second and a half on his riders and basically he didn't have an advantage in open air compared to Javi Foras, and and the other leading group basically, they were all pretty much going the same sort of pace. Jonathan could not break them. Um, he broke the slipstream, and that was what he needed to do to win the race, effectively. But he wasn't. He didn't just have a Jonathan Ray performance like of the years, where he's at the front and he breaks off, and that's the end of the matter. Um, no, the 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 second group was right behind him, coming over the line, which kind of says it all, really. That, uh you know the field looks closer. There's no, there's, there's no other way of slicing it. They all look very close um, right now. And yeah, Jonathan did not run away with this one like he normally did. And again, that just kind of sums up Kawasaki as a manufacturer right now. As well, it, w- it was more evident in race two. They, m- they had more serious problems. But uh, Jonathan not, you know, not getting that com- that truly comfortable victory was problematic. Yeah, I mean, the top nine in Super Pole were covered by just a third
0: of a second, um, even though it was a Kawasaki 1-2. They're only a 10th clear of third place Leon Kamiya. Yeah, Leon Kamiya was on the front row, folks. More on him later. Um, And Chaz Davies, the race two winner um, and podium finisher in the end in race one, he was only three-tenths off the pole, but he qualified ninth um, in the end, uh, just to show how close the field was. Um, And we're going to talk a bit about Kawasaki and, and the kind of position they're in. Even though they won, um, race one and they leave Thailand with the championship lead courtesy of Jonathan Ray um, more if anything down to how poor Melandry was in Thailand than anything else um, mm. and Johnny Ray has gone past him um, but when we're looking at this season as a whole Ray, and what we can expect for the entire season yes Jonathan Ray has returned to winning ways yes he leads the championship but surely what was really telling was race two and how unlike last year Jonathan Ray did not side through the field and win race two at Akanta Not even close.
1: Yeah, like, the first lap kind of gave the impression that, oh yeah, Jonathan's just going to plow his way through the field again, but no, not this time, and He was stuck in in like that in that top five level position and you know never really looked like he was gonna win He, he every time he was trying to make that's the thing about it that's the big difference between this year and last year like last year jonathan ray would would have a bunch of super aggressive moves the first three laps of a grand prix would probably be leading by the end of lap three and then that was the end of the matter this time round, he was trying all these audacious passes, and he was not able to make them stick second time round, um, It looked like they were really struggling, under the break and getting the bike stopped was problematic. Jonathan couldn't close the door on a lot of passes. He opened himself up to counter-attacks from riders like Cameo, like Marco Melandri in particular, who had a right-old dogfight with him um, in race two before finally breaking free in the second half of the race. But Jonathan never looked like he was going to win that race. At any point in race two, he looked like he was going to win it beyond lap two or three. And just did not have the pace to chase down Chaz Davis, who eventually got to the front or the Amahars in front of him either. So, yeah, very, very um, peculiar to see Jonathan struggle. I, I, I said to you before we went on the air, that looked like he, that was the most human, I think, I've seen um, Jonathan Ray look in the last four years. <laughs>
0: mm. Yeah it was it was strange wasn't it and it brings us back to the much talked about rule changes that we had at the start of the season the rev limits imposed on various bikes and of course the bikes that were most competitive last year have been pegged back the most um and that's the way it's going to uh, unfold through the season uh, as we go on after three rounds the bikes are then capped again depending on who's been the most competitive and uh, we'll talk about that again in a second because it looks like the Ducati has been the most competitive of them but coming back to Kawasaki they of course have their revs capped and we saw the first in inkling of it in Phillip Island didn't we Dre with how Melandry in, in particular was absolutely marmalizing them down the straights um, yes he did it to Sykes in race one and he then did it to Ray to win it in race two on the run to the finish line on the final lap um and it kind of, it has a snowball effect. It has knock-on effects, does this, as Kawasaki have explained this week, in that because they're so much slower down the straights, so we saw it again in Thailand, particularly with Sykes in race one, but even with Ray in race two, he was getting overtaken down the straights by the uh, by the Ducatis. Because they're so slow down the straights, they now have to try and make up time in other areas, which means they're having to try and carry more corner speed, and crucially, they're having to brake much later, which is explaining why Tom Sykes was having so much problems slowing his bike down in race one, and Jonathan Ray was having so much problems Making moves stick, because purely in race two Dre, he was breaking on the limit anyway.
1: Yeah, it, like he's had like basically he's had to fundamentally change his riding style because of the nature of the bike. He's he's like they they were never the fastest in a straight-line Kawasaki to begin with, and now they've had their Revs limits capped off now, and they can't change their gear ratio, so they've had to so they've had to have some level of compromise coming to Thailand, which has got one enormous back straight on it leading to your best overtaking opportunity on the track, which is basically turn three. Um, combine that now, as I said, that they've now got to basically maximize or adapt now to the point where they've got to carry more corner speed, lean tighter, brake even harder. And the bike can't handle that by the looks of it because, again, we saw it. Jonathan Ray ran wide. Um and basically on on several occasions in race two he ran wide and opened the door up to to, to counter attacks from Landry from Kamiya, um, from Flores from guys in that second group, um basically and yeah Ray has had like I've, again I've not seen him look so vulnerable since 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 this has come around it's very very eye opening to see Kawasaki again just. Look like a different bike. Look, look, look vulnerable. Just look like they, they fundamentally just did not work around Thailand. And Jonathan's still got a solid result in fourth in the grand scheme of things, but he still just looks like um, he, he never looked like he was going to win that race. He never looked comfortable out there. He looked like he was overriding the bike. If you said that was Chaz Davis, I wouldn't have blamed you given his riding yeah. style. And Chaz was comfortable out there winning the race in the end. So. It's almost like some really strange reboot of Fre- the Freaky Friday movie going on right now where Chaz was the one up the front comfortable dictating the pace of the race while Jonathan Wray was the one overriding to get any sort of results.
0: Mm, yeah, it was incredible. And-, and Chaz Davies in the end coming through to win race two. And uh, it's amazing how fortunes turn, isn't it? Chaz Davies crashing out of race two in Phillip Island where um, he was in a position to win it. He was at the front of that group that ended up fighting for the win uh, mm. once-, once all those pit stops had shaken out. Um, and then he comes back in Thailand, a circuit that he's never won at and Ducati to that point had never won at. Mm. Um, and he comes through to win the race from the third row of the grid. Let's not forget in race two, because he, yeah. he come from the third row to get a podium in race one and then from seventh on the grid in race two to win it. Um, as I say, how the fortunes changed, Ray. and uh, Greg indicates later on when we speak to him that you can't really predict anything now in World Superbike. So there's no guarantee that they're going to go to Aragon and win. But it is historically a Chaz Davies favourite. So all of a sudden, from Philip Island way, he would be forgiven for being a little disconsolate. All of a sudden, a victory in a third, he's just twelve points off the Championship League now, which is closer than he's been at any stage of the last three seasons.
1: The Chaz Davis fret is real this year, people. It's like it's like Chaz has very quietly just gone about his business. We know Mulanji had that double in Philip Island um jonathan's had two solid weekends which has put him on top but he's never really pressed home his advantage in this championship and Chaz has gone with it you know been professional you know got that win in race two very solid in race one took 41 points away out of time and that's that's about as much as you could have realistically hoped for given he had two two row three starts to both races but still managed to come through um And this is again, as you say, this is a Chaz week. This is a Chaz weekend coming up at Aragon. There is no one better around this circuit. Um, So, like Chaz has got a good chance of bringing the double home at Aragon in a couple of weeks' time. And if he does that, he probably will be leading the championship. So. All of a sudden, Chaz is in a very good position. He tends to go quite well around that soon as well. So, like this, this could be a very interesting couple of rounds coming up for Chaz to cement home an advantage here because Kawasaki look vulnerable more than they have in the last four or five years, and Ducati all of a sudden look like they could be the dominant bike in the field now with three big hitters in the top four all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, and Ducati own Imola as well in recent years as well. Um, so they might fancy that one. That's the round immediately following uh, Asen. So, uh, yeah, the next three rounds could well favor Ducati if this early form guide is anything to go by, but I'm not so sure we have for form guide just yet uh, at this early stage of the season. It's incredible how it's all started. Um, mm-hmm. Johnny Bailey leads the championship at this early stage. He leads it by two points from Marco Landry. Um, what on earth happened to him in Thailand? Two brilliant victories, um, in the opening round of the championship in Phillip Island. Um, Thailand, he never looked like winning, did he? Qualified reasonably well. Um, was up on the second row of the grid. Um, but his bike was shaking his head, and it would have no doubt left Melandry shaking his head.
1: Yeah, yeah, he you got a bad case of the shakes. Um, yeah, we saw it in particular in race two. Um, my word. Um, <laughs> I've never, ever seen a bike move like that at top-end speed. That was... That was freaky. Uh, again, best part of 190 miles an hour. Um, and he's, he's shaking like a leaf. And, like, again, like not only was that probably costing him top-end speed down the straight, but it probably also, again, it probably hurt Marco's confidence under braking as well. I mean, like, could you imagine trying to brake a 190-mile-an-hour superbike <laughs> and the whole thing is trying to literally shake itself out from underneath you? Um, ridiculous. Uh, but... A very different Melandry second time round. Again, like his confidence was clearly hurt. The pace just wasn't there. And all of a sudden, his bike clearly was fundamentally probably off kilter, especially in race two. Um, bizarre weekend for Melandry, but again, was never able to really exhibit any kind of pace all weekend long, which was unfortunate. But uh, yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah, maybe it's another indicator of how this World Superbike season is going to go. Because Melandry... Has had a weekend where he's only scored an eighth place and a seventh place, and yet he's only two points off the championship lead. Um yeah, Johnny Ray taking a fourth in race two. Again, I was gonna say that earlier on how we're almost might we might be in that kind of phase, we're almost in mode GP nowadays where we have to reevaluate what a good result is. Maybe sometimes, particularly when you come coming from the third row, fourth ain't necessarily a bad result in the grand scheme of things for Jonathan Ray, who was so used to seeing getting first and seconds for fun. Um, in, in recent years, perhaps those days may well have gone. Um, there's another Ducati to talk about, though, at the front of this, not just in the races, but in the championship, because third in the championship after three, after four races, should I say, uh, with two podiums from the first three, is Xavi Forres. He's only uh, nine points um, behind Jonathan Ray at the front of the championship field at the moment. Uh, Dre, what an incredible start to the season he's having. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago, how he's kind of reinvented himself as a quality superbike rider, having struggled there's a bit of a journey in the lower classes of grand prix in previous years um he is one of world superbike's elite now isn't
1: he he's looking on that door i mean like the way he's going you might as well be at this point he's finished every race in the top five so far this season he's only nine points off the championship lead He's had two podiums already. The first win is surely coming. Um, again, I like if you're Ducati, this is a fantastic bonus. You've got another potential blocker right in the front of the championship and the mission to bring down the guys in green um, because it's now second, third, and fourth. Ducati's all littered out, lining up in a row to try and take Jonathan down. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Xavi, who's basically with the concession system now in place, basically has the same bike as the as the factory Aruba team. Um, and it shows he's just as fast as them, if not quicker on some occasions. And like, he was way he outclassed Melandry all weekend long in Thailand. Yeah. Um, and again, only really Chaz. Like he beat Chaz in race one as well to finish in second. And um, again, it, he did not look like he, he, he belonged at the front. He did not look like he was punching above his weight. He looked like he was right up there and should have been right up there right from the get-go. Very, very impressive from Chavi Forres again, who, as you say, is basically um, an elite rider in the class now. and It looks like he is every bit as good as the factory team in front of him.
0: Yeah, he looks like he's got a win in him uh, at some point in this season. It, w- it, would be, it would almost be surprising now if Chavi Forres doesn't win a race uh, later on this season. The form he's showing, if Chicati are going to have circuits later on in the year where they are clearly the dominant package, um, because although they've had the stronger package so far this season, they haven't been dominant at the front. It's been pretty nip and tuck between them and Kawasaki. Ducati have just had a slight edge. There are surely going to be circuits like Aragon next up, um, which of course will be one of Forres' home rounds of the season. Um, that Ducati will have the dominant package and it might well be Forres rather than Davies Omelandri that takes advantage of that. Um, so consistency is keeping him very much in the championship shake-up at this early stage and we'll it'll be fascinated to see how long he stays there and mm-hmm. if he can continue to run up the front um, later on this season. Um, Tom Sykes went into this weekend second in the points, having uh, finished uh, second in race one and then a fourth in race two in Phillip Island. He looked on Friday and he said as much that he thought he had the pace to run at the front in the races as well. Um, but it seems, Dre, that his weekend completely went south from Saturday. From the moment he lost that potential all-time pole record, his race weekend went completely south. And for all the promising pace he had on Friday, he left the race weekend with hardly any points to show for it
1: only 10 to leave thailand with for tom sykes and yeah it showed in in again the the qualifying didn't turn out great the the, like the race weekend itself didn't turn out great he never looked like he was going to win race one dropped to sixth place unfortunately in that one um out of contention and then in race two severe issues with the front of the bike and sykes ended up parking it um, with a handful of laps to go did not see the risk in continuing um I, th- I think kawasaki were quite vague about the problem seems like some mm. sort of issue with the front end um I don't yeah, they, they, they refer to something. it as
0: a supply part failure mm. which could mean yeah. anything. basically a part they don't make so they're basically shirking any blame from themselves
1: yeah so basically they didn't want to take any responsibility for that one by the looks of it so uh yeah um interesting to say the least um but yeah, a disastrous weekend for Sykes. has now dropped in 26 points behind his teammate again already, and it feels like a lot of the same story for for Sykes in the battle against his his, his teammate in Jonathan Ray, where he just seems to be losing little points here and there, and that is going to add up as time goes on, and now he's got a mountain to climb to get back up to the top again.
0: Yeah, I mean, it depends who you listen to, I suppose, whether you feel that the problems that cost Sykes his... Uh but any chance of winning race one in his participation period in race two were his fault or the bikes. Um, but it is a, it is an interesting argument that Greg poses later on that, I mean, look, there were only 14 finishes in race two. So even if he just rolled around at half pace, he'd have scored a point. Um, and, you know, he, he, might well, he might well need that later on because, you know, the championship this season looks like it's going to be much closer. It doesn't look like Johnny Ray's 5.56 five, of last year is going to be troubled. Let's put it that way. Um, and, you know, Tom Sykes with a race weekend that he's only scored 10 points from he's only 26 off the championship lead Um, so he's by no means you know looking at an insurmountable points gap even at this early stage so I think that's probably the the, the one piece the one bit of heart he's got to take from this hasn't he Dre that at this early stage of the season nobody's dominating Um, and you know Tom Sykes at the moment in the world championship has 43 points (laughs) at this stage last season that would have had him 57 off the lead this year he's only 26
1: yeah that's that's the only blessing here is that everybody's more vulnerable the the field in general is a lot more competitive there's 12 points covering the top four right now with with three Ducatis in front of Tom Sykes in this championship fight so and both factory Yamaha's as well funnily enough Mm -hmm. um but as you say, no one is dominating. Jonathan has not opened up the year like he did last year where he just completely creamed everybody. Um, he's not having it go his own way this year. And that is the greatest blessing for so That means it'll be a lot easier for him to potentially recover points um, in the grand scheme of things. So that's the one blessing that Sykes have got. It's still early days um in the championship and the championship itself is very very close um so yeah there's still every chance likes to recover but he's gonna have to start beating his teammate more often for that to really be a factor
0: yeah just like Melandry, he appears to have had one very good weekend and one very average one to start the season because we it, it, we can't forget just how bullish and how confident and how happy he was in philip island surely that's not all disappeared in one race weekend so it, it, we, you know we we might have to wait until Aragon to see whether those problems he had in the races were actually just out of his control. And maybe he does does still have the pace to run at the front from Aragon onwards, which is another circuit that historically Sykes hasn't gone well at. He's had the one double there back in his title winning year. Um, But other than that, he's tended to be um, certainly in the uh, Johnny Raitt era. He's been a long way behind him. I don't think he's ever beaten him in Aragon uh, while they've been teammates. Um, Race two then went to Davis, as I mentioned, and there were two Yamahas with him on the podium in race two. um, Just to kind of give them a time to confidence boost because they were nowhere really where they thought they would be in Phillip island they finally got their 2018 spec bike out for thailand because we've been told already in previous shows that they had an upgrade planned for thailand where essentially their 2018 package would be completely put together um and it looked better didn't it dre i mean race one they were still a little a little way off i mean alex Lowe's was seven seconds off the win in that first race which is it's not a lot but it's still enough um, for Yamaha to really consider making a play at race one, but they certainly look like they're quick enough now to hold their own from the front of the grid in race two, don't they?
1: It's it looks that way. Like they 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 can hold their own. I mean, as 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 like I think Greg alluded to later on in the show, we'll talk about Yamaha. Um, it looks like they could be aiming for these race two starts where they don't lose as much time at the front of the field, fighting from row three or row, or from row two in qualifying. But if they can if they can have a guy lead from the front, they have a, they stand to have a much better chance of winning. Almost, you could argue it was counterproductive in yeah. race two having I mean, Alex Lowe's attack Michael Vandermark so so frequently in the early going because he basically. Um, kept Ray and Davies um, and Fores right behind them and kept them close by having them fight so much I mean if you're Yamaha like that's not going to help either of you in the grand scheme of things so maybe a little bit of a conversation needs to be had between their two riders in the back going forward but as you said though, they, they, it was impressive from Yamaha that that was probably the best they've looked since Phillip Island last year in terms of sheer competition um, maybe Vandermark as well at Masano last year that like, he could have won race one that weekend as well so, yeah, the way it's going at the moment, um, yeah, it could be very solid um, for Yamaha. The, the 2018 bike does look like it's taking a step forward, but uh, whether it will be enough to challenge Ducati and Kawasaki on a more frequent basis remains to be seen.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, if, if I was Yamaha, I'd be lucky at that and think. I mean, they had a 2 3 at Magni Call last year, but that was uh, a race weekend that had a bit of rain around. And of course, Jonathan Ray dnf that race when he had that problem with laverty so not quite representative, but this one was fair and square. Jonathan Ray came from the third row and still ended up finishing four four and a half seconds behind Vandermark um, and just under three seconds behind Lowe's. So he wasn't exactly close to them um, in race two. They started on the front row and held their own. Um, and yeah, you've got to be thinking, seems to me, Vandermark, if he's on the front row for race two at Assin, he'll be really fancy his chances. Um, and Alex Lowe's for instance at places like Donington might well be thinking the same Um, as a circuit he goes very well at they look like they're they're much closer to the front now Yamaha but in terms of outright pace from qualifying to race one they don't look like they're ready just yet um, to compete for victories Um, in race one the real surprise was Leon Camus on the Honda because he was the one who finished fourth and earned himself race two pole position Um, and This is a guy who, I mean, you don't really need to listen to this show too often to understand how we think of Leon Kamia. We're big fans of him on this show. Um, But not only does he deserve an awful lot of credit, Dre, but so do Honda. Um, Mm. Because it's clear that they have made enormous progress. In race one last year in Thailand, the first Honda across the finish line, which was Nikki Hayden, was
1: 33 seconds behind the winner. This year, Kamia, three seconds off. Indeed. And he, again, like that much credit for both Kameo and the Honda team because they they've both had a big say in in, in Honda taking a huge step forward. Um and again it, it goes to show you that the Cameo's MV performances were no fluke. It wasn't just the bike thing. He really is that good. Um like it, it wasn't just an MV thing like he's able to spearhead this team. And again, that was by a comfortable margin Honda's best performance. since coming back with, with Carter and the Red Bull Association. And that is a wonderful result for Camilla. Um, that again, very unlucky. He still hasn't got a podium to his name yet. Um, in the last three years of his struggles with, um, you know, slightly inferior machinery but cameo is dragging that thing as far as he can he's not finished a race outside of seventh so far this season and like honda would kill for that level of consistency um so yeah no matter which way you slice it cameo has, has remarkably improved the performance of that bike but also honda has made great gains in in taking themselves forward as well so yeah, a lot, a lot to be grateful for for Ten at the moment. But again, definitely positive signs going forward for him.
0: Mm. Here's how the race is finished. Then race one went to Johnny Ray's first win of the year uh, from Forres by a second and a half. Davies in third. Then came Camia Alex Lowe's in fifth. Tom Sykes sixth. Vandermark seventh. Second of the Yamahas. Championship leader at that point, Malandri in eighth ahead of Eugene Laverty and Jordi Torres, who qualified fourth on the MV. So he had a good start to the weekend as well, showing pace. But uh, as of course you've heard already. His race weekend kind of went south a bit in race two where he crashed with Laverty. Um, that race finished with Davies, the winner, from Vandermark and Lowe's, the Yamaha's two and three. Johnny Ray fourth, but that was enough to take him to the lead of the championship, with Fores in fifth, Kamiya sixth, Melandri seventh, Toprak Razgatioglu in eighth, Savadori ninth on the sole remaining of and PJ Jacobson in tenth. And as you'll notice there, eighth and tenth were two rookies. Um, Razgatioglu and Jacobson, Dre, um... Even if you allow for the fact that Sykes, Slavity and Torres DNF'd ahead of them, those are two impressive results. Rascatioglu's never seen the circuit before. And Jacobson, who's riding a satellite Honda, getting in the top 10. That's some
1: going. That's a fantastic performance in both of them. Yeah, as you said, Top Rack is still learning the bike, still learning the circuit going forward, because, again, he's, this is the first time he's been to Thailand in this context. Um, again, superb HD performance. I know a lot of it was a bit was, was down to the attrition of some strong riders in front of him, like Laverty, you know, Torres, Mercado, and, and Sykes. But who cares? You can only be able put in front of you at the end of the day. Yeah, top Rack was only um, four seconds by Malandri very very impressive from top back and nice to see pj Jacobson in the top 10 as well that's not the biggest and brightest outfit in the world um and that again as you say that is a satellite honda they've they've got to compete with um he's essentially
0: the ne- test dummy for these new electronics
1: exactly um and despite that top 10 is is a great performance indeed um from one of the smallest outfits on the field and uh yeah he's, he's finding a way to make it work so yeah great great rise from the pair of them
0: yeah, top rack um, just to confirm, he is uh, obviously a World Superbike rookie like Jacobson, but Jacobson, from his uh, time in World Supersport in the last few years, has been to Borougham before, so he does know the circuit. Um, Jacobson, of course, um, had ran there last year on the MV. Rascatioglu is a stock thousand rider. They only raced at the European round, so he has not seen Borougham before, so he was learning the circuit. Um, and there's a, there's a major school of thought that when glue gets to circuits like Aragon, Um, and Imola and Nassen that are coming up next, circuits that he has raced on before in Thousand, he is going to be a serious contender. And uh, you wonder whether Kawasaki (laughs) will be hoping that he'll be doing to them, for them, what Forres does for Ducati, because they might well need it um, at the moment to give them a bit more uh, strength in numbers up the front. Championship looks like this, and after four races of the season, Um, and this is a bit unusual for the last few years, because look how close it is. Jonathan Ray on only 69 points from a possible 100. Um, I'd love to know how long it took him to drop 31 points or more last year. Probably took him till around Donington, didn't it? Um, Melandry second, two points (laughs) behind. Forres is third on 60, so only nine points goes to the top three. Davis is fourth on 57. He's only 12 off the lead. Alex Lowe's on the Yamaha fifth. He's 21 off the lead. Marco Melandry in sixth. 45 off the lead, so in theory, any of the top six could leave Aragon Race 1 leading the championship. Tom Sykes is out of that, he's 26th off the lead in 7th now after his poor weekend, with Leon Cami at a point behind him in 8th. Loris Bass, who had a poor weekend with an 11th and a 12th for him on that BM, um, it's enough to have him 9th in the points on 21, 3 points ahead of Raz who completes the top ten. Right, on to World Supersport then next. And, um, well, sorry, another weekend, another cracking World Supersport race. Um, A race that went all the way down to the final corner. Um, Unfortunately, though, a race that took place without the uh, five-times world champion, uh, Keenan Safoglu, who we told you last week on the show had pulled out of the race weekend through injury. Um, Events have transpired since then that have led us to believe that this injury is rather severe, Dre. And uh, it unfortunately seems... Um, and we don't like saying this that Keenan Safoglu's world super sport and indeed his competitive motorcycle racing career might well be at an end.
1: Yeah, um, props to Greg again for, for great journalism <clears throat> and a, a great story and sit down interview he did with Keenan. And um, yeah, no matter which way you slice it, I mean, if Keenan Safoglu is coming out and saying that he is legitimately scared of another major crash, then. I think he has to seriously consider his future because, like, no matter which way you cut it, like, hips and pelvis injuries are bad. They are life-threatening. If you injure that pelvis or hip one too many times, you could die or you could take permanent damage. There is no getting around that. Um, And he's had a couple of whoppers. He, He probably should have never come back to racing Qatar with the very, very slim chance he had of winning that championship, he, he probably still, should.
0: Still it. defies belief that he set that record and finished on the podium that day.
1: It's it's ridiculous. I, I I know it's ridiculous, but even then, it was out of his hands by a massive degree. And Lucas Mahias was was probably never going to win it that weekend and win the title anyway. Um, it's like you have to all You have to, like it's easy to sit here now in hindsight and go, was it worth it? And in the eyes of that he clearly felt like it was worth a go. Um, and I, I think he's just come back to haunt him now because he, he never recovered properly from that. So when he had the Philip Island accident, it, it compounded the problem. Um, and that was a hellacious accident, no matter which way you saw, sl- even if you were fully healthy and don't have hip problems, that was a huge accident. That, that's the sort of accident that, that gave Jorge Lorenzo the yips when he f- shattered his collarbone in, in an accident those years ago. Um, Oh, God, just, again, like, I, I hope Keenan has a serious sit-down and contemplates his future. But if, if the, the way he's talking, if he's that worried about permanent damage or even potentially death from one more serious accident, I don't see how he can continue.
0: Yeah, I think we're at the point now where well, we, we all want to see Safoglu so go head-to-head with Mahias again, and we want to see um, Keenan race and do what he loves doing in World Supersport because he is the greatest rider this class has ever seen. Um, but it's getting to the point now where it's just like, I think we just want Kean to be healthy um, and to be well. And it's, yeah, it's, probably, it it's, probably, for, yeah, it's probably for the best that he, he hangs up his helmet now um, and accepts what has been uh, a, a, sto- a storied career, a sensational career. Um, in World Super Sport, and you know he, of course, moved into Moto2 for a period as well, and had podiums there. He's got nothing to be ashamed of from his, from his career, and he's going to continue to have a long-lasting legacy in Turkish motorsport. He's probably going to go into team management, and he's already uh, kind of like the Turkish equivalent to Valentino Rossi in the VR46 operation. That he's. Um, doing in Turkey, what Rossi's doing in Italy on bringing on young talent, we've already got Toprak in the Premier Class in World Superbike he is a Sofwaglu Protégé um, we've got the uh, Turkish Onsu Twins who are riding in the uh, the Asia Talent Cup at the moment, um, and indeed in the uh, CEV, which we'll talk about in a moment, um, we've got um, the uh, the another Turkish youngster um, Cebuk, who's racing in the uh, Spot 300 Czech Class this year so a number of riders have been inspired into this sport, based on what Keenan has done Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe that is the next step for Keenan because there's no doubt he's going to stay involved in the paddock somehow uh, because it's in his blood. It's what he does. He he, you know, he lives and breathes this sport. Um, and in many ways, that has been his downfall in the last few months in convincing him to keep going and keep racing, even when doctor's advice would have probably told him otherwise. Um, without him, we still got a terrific race. As I mentioned in World Sport. Last weekend, a race that went all the way down to that final corner. Lucas Maias, who was, for what it's worth, sensational in Super Bowl, um to take pole position. Oh, yeah. um, and for a lot of the race, looked like he was going to make it two from two um, and take a firm grip already at this early stage on the world championship. But it didn't pan out that way um, because in no uncertain terms, Dre, he got crumminackered at the final corner.
1: <laughs> uh, we have to use this again at some yeah. point mm-hmm. you got kriminaka that is a thing of beauty um yes like a, a last corner lunge um and pretty much side by side coming through the final corner contact um between the riders themselves um kriminaka yeah, Yeah, Krimanaka basically drop-kicked the side pod of Mahayas to get him out of the way, basically. Both riders stayed up. Krimanaka won it by a nose, basically. Sorry,
0: Lucas, this guy wants it a bit more than you.
1: Basically. um, (laughs) um, So, uh, yeah, simply put, Krimanaka elbowed his way to victory. um, And this time, nobody seemed to have a problem with it. How about (laughs) that? But, um, yeah, like so, yeah, Valentino, take some notes. But, uh, yeah, a, f- a fantastic race. Krimenaka was very, very fast all the way through. Set a couple of lap records on the way as well. Was He looked very, very quick. Got his opportunity at the end of the race to lead from the front. And got it over the line in the end. A fantastic victory for Krimenaka. Nice to see him back on the on the top step.
0: Yeah, encouraging for the for the championship as well. Because, as I mentioned, we, we're not going to see, even if he carries on racing, Keenan's not going to win the championship this year um, by the looks of it. Um, because at this stage of the season, Mahias was only on 20 points, having had his second in in Australia, and then that blow-up in Thailand, which cost him a potential win there. Um, He's on 45 points this time around, so even if Keenan returns, he is 40-plus points behind uh, at this stage of the season, which is just way too many, even for a fully fit of to probably rein back in. Um, But yeah, it looks encouraging that Mahias is not going to have it all its own way this season. And for Kruenacker, who looks like he's come back to the class of better rider, even though he didn't exactly excel, in his one year in World Superbike last year with the Pachetti team. He did famously win on his World Supersport debut two years ago. Um, but with the best will in the world, that was a win that really tumbled into his lap. Um, when he was teammates to sofoglu and make, made his debut that weekend in Supersport. And Sofoglu crashed out of the lead and handed the victory to um on his debut. Um, and Krumanaka did not win again uh, that year um, for the remainder of the season. Um, so this is his second career win. Uh, in the Supersport class. Um, but what it looks like, Dre, looking at this result, which, I mean, the top four riders were the exact same four as they were in Australia, just in a slightly different order, with the top two in third and fourth swapping around. Um, it does look as if this season is going to be a Yamaha-dominated class, which leads us to think that the four that led at the front this weekend down in Australia, <laughs> Mahias, Krumanaka, Karakasula
1: and Cortesi,
0: you've got to think the championship's going to probably come from one of those four.
1: It looks like it. I mean there, there is a serious chance that Yamaha could run the table with at least like three, maybe four, maybe even five, if you include if you're counting Jules Gazelle who's on the Yamaha as well. Damn it, Jules. God damn it, Jules! Uh, why you were leading! Come on! Uh, like that man is infinitely frustrating. Yeah. Like, that guy is some... infinitely unlucky. Oh God! What well, such a fantastic talent, but ah. Oh! Anyway, uh, as I was saying, yeah, absolutely right. I think Yamaha could very easily run the table. Uh, the, the way the way they go half the time, and the way that the season is playing out. Cortez is adapted to the class very quickly. Kazuhiro can can win any Grand Prix on his day. Uh, Myers is the reigning champ. Kriminaka looks like a rejuvenated rider again. So it could easily be one of those four, and they've all got valid grounds to be up the top, the top at the moment.
0: Mm, yeah, Cluzel was, as, as you mentioned, could well easily have been part of that quartet at the front and made it a five-way fight because he was in a position to win the race um, before he went down um, midway through the Supersport race. Hasn't won in the class since he was on the MV Augusta late 2016 at Magny Corps He won um, the year he finished, or one of the three years, he's finished championship runner-up um, in World Supersport. Um, I mean... <laughs> It kind of looks like. I mean, I always watch Cluzel thinking this guy just can't catch a break. But I also watch him thinking this guy looks like he's riding at a hundred and one percent all of the time, and he's just waiting. It's, he's either going to be rostrum or hospital, doesn't he? He always looks like either a victory or a crash waiting to happen. There's no in between with Cluzel.
1: No, there never is with Cluzel. Um, it's 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 one or the other with him, and like, he's he's he looks like a rider who's always on the ragged edge. Um, he takes chances that a lot of that a lot of riders wouldn't say. We saw it at RF last year. Just how far this guy will go to try and win a race. Um, he will try it, even if it's even if, if it's a one percent chance. He will have a go, and it's that one percent that often. Could put him over the edge and like over, um, often over the bike, um, unfortunately. But um, that's the nature of Gazelle. He's too far gone for to be anything else. I think at this point in his career, um, that's that's what gets him to the top, and that's what often makes him crash out as well. But uh, it's a shame. But that's often how Gazelle can tend to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's how the race finished in the end. Kromanaka the uh, the forceful winner from my ass. By 48 thousandths of a second. Karakasulo um, on the second of the uh, GRT Factory, in inverted commas, Yamahas, um, in third place, ahead of Cortese in fourth. Uh, Titipong Warakorn in fifth. Yet wouldn't be a Thai race weekend without a cracking result from one of the wild cards. Hey. Um, he was fifth. Um, ahead of Mount West in sixth on the first of the Kawasaki's. Rafa De Rosa, first of the MV Augustas, and there aren't many of them now in Supersport. Uh, he was seventh. Ratapong Willarot another Thai wild card in eighth ahead of Nicky Tully on the Honda 9th, and Luke Stapleford on the Triumph 10th. Um, the points were rounded out by Thomas Gradinga, teammate to Closel on the NRT uh, Yamaha, Jack Kennedy, second of the Triumphs, Loris Cresson in 13th on the second of the Calio um Yamaha's, teammate to Cortese, Dare to cry, Zart, the rider who famously finished second last year in this race. He was 14th this time. with um, mm-hmm. and Badavini in 15th position ahead of Aslan Shah, who was the stand-in for Sufoglu. Uh, he was just outside the points. Championship standings then. Um, Krumenaka and Mahias are level on points and have identical records after two rounds, a win and a second apiece. Uh, so Krumenaka is shown as championship leader, presumably by alphabetical order, if nothing else. yells. the highest in second. Um, Caracasulo and Cortese also on identical records in third and fourth. 16 off the lead. Um, fifth place in the championship is Rafa de Rosa on 19 points, 26 behind. Stapleford is up in sixth on the triumph, so he's had a strong start to the year ahead of Nicky Toody, seventh. Warakorn is eighth. Um, Gradinga, ninth. And Anthony West rounds out the top ten in the championship. Just ahead of Cluzel, who is down in 11th. Next up, for a more in-depth look at how each manufacturer has fared in these opening two rounds of the championship, as well as a look ahead um, to the upcoming Supersport 300 class. Uh, We're joined by the voice of the sport, Greg Haynes. He's up next. For a progress report then on the first two rounds of the World Superbike and Super Sport seasons, it's uh, it's a pleasure for us here at Motorsport 101 and Bike Life to welcome back the voice of the sport with your sport, uh, Greg Haynes. Greg, many, many thanks for joining us once again. Um, it, we, we spoke pre-season and before every season, we always hype up the upcoming campaign um, and how excited we are for it. But the first two rounds of the championship in Phillip Island in Thailand, it's lived up to billing, hasn't it?
2: Well, first of all, thanks a lot, Lewis, for getting in touch. And yeah, it certainly has, hasn't it? We didn't know what to expect, did we, this year, which is exactly what we wanted. I said before, I don't know about you, but I don't mind who wins the title. I don't mind how it is won, but all we want is close racing all the way through the year and the championship to hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood and everything else, to go down to the last race. And yeah, I mean, we've already had seven podium finishes, which already equals the number of riders who finished on the podium in the whole of last season. We've had three race winners already, and we only had four in the whole of last season. Yes, it's still only Kawasaki and Ducati winning, but Ducati's won three. Kawasaki's only won one. Jonathan Ray is still the championship leader, which actually I've got to say from a personal point of view, I'm pleased about because it's not as though they've completely destroyed Kawasaki's chances. They're still there. They're still leading the championship. But instead of having a 30-point lead, as he had this time last year, he's only got a two-point lead. So, you know, any one of six riders could come out of the first race in Aragon leading the World Championship, which is great, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. 12 points covers the top four as well, um, three of which are Ducatis. And, and we'll start with them. Even though Jonathan Ray does lead the championship, the, the the story in many respects has been how strong Ducati have been on three fronts, not just with Davies and Malangy and the Aruba team, but Forres as well uh, in the Barney team. A lot of us thought pre-season, um, with good reason, I suppose, that Ducati were going to be hamstrung more than most by the regulation changes. But it hasn't really been the case. I mean, they appear to have adapted better than anybody else. Just how have they done it?
2: Huh, good question. I was a bit worried about Chaz Davis in particular because he really did bash himself up really quite badly in her In November, we don't precisely know still what caused that crash. We think it was possibly a braking-related issue. But anyway, whatever it was, he had to bail. He had to throw himself off, bashed up his right knee, bashed up his left shoulder, in and out of physiotherapy all across the off season. Nightmare testing period. And as you just said as well, they reckoned at Ducati that with the V-twin engine, they were not going to be very close to the front of the field, or certainly not challenging regularly for victories. But the concession parts are definitely helping as well in terms of Xavi Forres. He's effectively a third factory bike now. You might as well paint that bike in Aruba Colors because he's right up there, isn't he? He's beating Melandre. He's beating Chas Davis at times as well. He probably, for me, is the man of the first four races because technically um, and consistently, he's been right up there, hasn't he? third in the World Championship, which we didn't expect at all, which is brilliant. So to answer your question, how have they done it? I think possibly, my personal feeling is they were maybe playing down their chances a bit across the off-season. I think everyone wanted to say oh, we're hit worse from this in terms of Kawasaki, Ducati and a few others. Yamaha were the ones who honestly came out and said, we're probably going to gain most from this. Yamaha didn't have the bike in Australia that they really wanted to start the season with. I think really the bike they had in Thailand was more what they planned to have right from the beginning. Lots of updates, more Japanese engineers in the garage. But Ducati are up there, aren't they? And it's not quite looking like the dominance of Ducati that we've seen in the frankly, They are consistently up there, all three riders. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens at Paragon with the rev limits, because it might end up being a case where, ironically, Ducati might get turned down 250 revs. Kawasaki. But we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see that. And and Malandri really elevating himself in in Phillip Island after... Just the one win last season, starting off with a double was was sensational. He's obviously got a good record around there in his Grand Prix career too. Uh, Davies fighting back with a win in Thailand, but we have to talk about Foray. So um, myself and Dre talked about him on this show a couple of weeks ago, how he, a few years ago, he kind of was a bit of a journeyman in many respects. He'd had a a Grand Prix career which hadn't really had many highs. He'd been in lower classes. He dropped out of Moto2 mid-2011 and has almost reinvented himself, hasn't he, as a quality superbike rider. Went off to Germany, won the championship there. And he's now established himself as one of the elite of world superbikes.
2: He really has, isn't he? I always say a lot of your best races come in your 30s. Look at Jonathan Ray, look at Valentino Rossi, who are obviously the two top men in their categories really over you know over the course of their careers, that is. Uh, not every single year, but over the course of their careers. And Xavi Flores, similar to Jonathan Ray in some respects, he's 32 years old, which is a little bit older than Jonathan. But I'm saying that in the sense that he's in his 30s, loads of experience, Started racing professionally when he was about 14 years old. You said before he won the IDM German Superbike Championship in 2014. He's won stock titles twice in Spain. And he's using all of that experience now. His knowledge of the Ducati, which he's been on for a few years. The fact he's got these extra parts. I mean, as we said, it's pretty much a third factory bike. In a way, it's a little bit silly that he's labeled an independent rider. Yes, he is technically, but really, that's a third factory bike, isn't it, in disguise? And, yeah, he's absolutely got it down to a T. He's obviously got set of information from previous seasons, which he's able to use. You've already touched on the fact that Phillip Island is always a bit of a dramatic track. You can't always seriously use that as a reference to the rest of the season. I mean, look how many times we've had a ride winning at Phillip Island, then struggling for the rest of the year. But even so, Forrest is up there. He's done it again in Thailand. Two tripodiums from four races, third in the championship. And I think something else that's key as well is just how strong that Barney team is. It's only a small team, but a very, very professional team. They've raced before in the Italian Championship. They know what they're doing. They know each other very, very well. And they're getting on with the job. They're not diluting the job either. They're getting on with it, working closely as well with uh, Chas Davis and Marco Melandri, And it's working. It's absolutely working. It's great to see. And it's going to be
0: fascinating as well from the next round in Aragon, where, of course, we're going to have the Stock 1000 champion Rinaldi joining in with a, a fourth Chicati up the front, so they're going to have strength in numbers, aren't they, up the front um, from from Aragon onwards, but let's talk Kawasaki, and as we mentioned, Jonathan Ray does lead the championship, uh, albeit only by two points, and uh, an injury and illness hit start to the season in Phillip Island, he kind of maximised his points, I suppose, given the issues he had there, Uh, and then recovering with a victory from the pole Um, in Thailand, it's just emphasising, I suppose, just how the cream still rises to the top. Uh, in World Superbikes, and um, no matter what rule changes you throw at throw the, the front of the field, and you throw at Jonathan Ray, he's still the class of this field, isn't he?
2: Yes, he definitely is. The thing that separates the good riders from the great riders and the really great riders is that bit—the ability to adapt. But that's exactly what he's doing. He's working so closely with his team and with his crew chief Pereira. He's got Fabian Foray, a very experienced rider, a former World Super sport champion, spotting for him on track. And now they're having to work harder. And they really are having to work harder as a team than they ever have done. If he wins this title, it surely will be his best so far. But it's what Pereriba said on Eurosport to Charlie Hiscott after the race on Sunday. It's very interesting. They've got these change regulations. They've got less rebs already than they had last year. So what are they doing? They're having to make up in other areas, so, i.e. off the throttle, because they can't, they can't gain an advantage against the other bikes in a straight line. Marcel Dwinker, Tom Sykes crew said that pretty much every other bike is coming past them on the straight. So they're having to gain in the corners, quite frankly, off the throttle uh, and under braking. And of course, they've overstressed the brakes now as a result of that. It looks as though Sykes had a really bad suspension problem as well. Uh, So they're having to push the bikes over the limit. They're saying it's actually a bit dangerous. But critically, the difference here is, and I know Tom Sykes had a problem, I'm not criticising him. He sensibly pulled into the pits, but Jonathan Ray was able to nurse that bike home, picked up the fourth position, picked up critical points. And as Pereira said, that is what wins championships. And that's it, isn't it, Lewis? The great riders are the ones who wins, win races they shouldn't really win. Or really, you could say he could have stopped in that race. But no, he still finishes, and he finishes strongly in fourth place. And if he wins the championship by one point, we'll be looking back I think not so much of his wins this year, but races like Thailand race Two, when he managed to get it home, struggling to fourth place. So, yeah, if they do win it this year, it, you'll have to take your hat off to Jonathan Ray because he is the master of adaptation.
0: Hmm. And from Sykes's point of view, I mean, it was noticeable just how confident and how happy he was, particularly in Phillip Island uh, after taking his, his record equaling pole there and, and beating Jonathan Ray. Yeah. Uh, in the dry, in a race for the first time, well, for the first time since mid last season, and it usually takes him till around Donington time to do that, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does, to to beat yeah. Jonathan Ray, um, he does on pure pace look a little stronger than he did last season. But I guess, as you've already alluded to, the big penalty, I suppose, for him and what he'll be thinking about is that for all this improvement in pace, he hasn't really got the points to show for it.
2: No, and it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? I just hope he can recover the situation at Aragon because his mental strength is going to be critical now. He's not, been, you know, he's not hidden the fact that last year was a difficult year off the track and on the track. There were some issues back at home. I think he's got those a little bit sorted now. He's spending time back up uh, in Huddersfield, where he comes from originally. Obviously, he's lived in Coventry for the last few years. But that aside, although we can't put that completely aside, that is a very, very important thing. Somebody in his team said to me at Phillip Island, that they would say, you know, that probably 90% of this comes from Tom and his reset in his mind. Mm. He used to drive that Kawasaki when the regulations first changed in 2015. He was thinking, oh, this bike's not working for me anymore. What can I do to change the bike to suit my style? And it's taken him a long, long time, and he said this himself, to actually admit that, you know what, those days have gone. I need to change my style, not keep changing the bike. I need to change to suit the bike, not the other way around. But, yeah, you're right. Philip Island, he looks so strong. I've never seen Tom Sykes. This is my, what, fourth season now in the World Superbike Paddock. I've never seen him so happy And to it's one relax. of his
0: weaker tracks, historically, too.
2: Exactly. It's one of his weaker tracks. He's never really been up there. Even when he won his title in 2013, I can't remember to be precise, but I think he was either fifth or sixth. It was something like that in yeah. the first race. So, like you say, it was never his best track. Um, but then Thailand happens, and he's just thinking, ugh. Is that the difference between Ray and Sykes at the moment? Ray's able to nurse it home to fourth. Sykes has to pull into the pits. I know he had a slightly different problem, uh, but that is going to be it this year. It's going to happen at several tracks where they're going to have to ride their way around problems. Uh, and he's got to bank the World Championship points because otherwise Ray Davis are going to start edging away. Then you get into a situation where you're already more than a race wins equivalent of points, i.e. 25 points behind. Then it starts thinking, and then you start thinking, oh no, here we go again, don't you? So mm-hmm. he's got to, he keeps himself. In my opinion, he's got to make sure he stays in touch because otherwise, that's when the gremlins start creeping in mentally as well as realistically.
0: Yeah, I suppose he's got to take solace for the fact that, as, as we already alluded to, that no one's dominating so far. Uh, yeah, and that's he's true. still within touching true. distance. He's he's what is he? He's twenty six points at the moment uh, off yeah, the championship it's, lead. It's not
2: the end of the world, is it? You know, you know he can and, still and, win a race. And what uh, what was you know. noticeable
0: as well? We, we spoke of this off air before we started in terms of Kawasaki and the season as a whole. I think what was really noticeable from Thailand and what really gives us hope for a close championship this season is that we did not see Jonathan Ray slice his way through from ninth on the grid to first in a lap and a half and win the race comfortably. The very fact that he found it so difficult and only made it as up as high as fourth in the end surely tells us that the field has closed up.
2: And the organisers get some stick, don't they, sometimes? Sometimes perhaps it's warranted, others times definitely not warranted, but whatever your opinion is on that, and it does come down to opinion at the end of the day, this semi-reverse grid system of switching the top nine round, switching the top three as well, back on row three from the day before, it's working now, so it proves that last year... It perhaps wasn't such a stupid idea as some people said it maybe is a bit of a strange way of doing things it doesn't matter though it's the same for everybody and it's actually working now because last year ray they've got brilliant electronic strategies on that bike he just was off the line he, like a scolded cat and he was gone wasn't he? he was often in the lead by the end of the first lap mm-hmm. or certainly the second or third lap and that was it goodbye now everyone's so much closer And it's making it a lot more difficult to get through. And if you do make a mistake while you're coming through or have a problem and make a mistake, which is what happened in Thailand a few times, he was off the track about three times in race two. um, You're going to drop back further, aren't you? You're not just going to lose a place. You're going to be back to sixth, seventh, eighth again, which is what was happening. And by then, Chas Davis had pulled well off into the distance. So that's actually allowing that regulation to work better as well. And when you put those things together... That's why we've got such a close championship. But it's great, isn't it? We've got nothing against Jonathan Ray and Kawasaki. It's the best complete package, best rider on the grid, I think, best crew chief, best uh, overall package. But as an overall show, and I know they're being penalised and they will argue that's unfair, but as an overall show to your average fan at home, it is more enjoyable, I think.
0: Mm. And the chief beneficiaries, uh, arguably, in Thailand of the race to reverse grid were the Yamahas, who were second and third on the podium. We've already alluded to the fact that they didn't really get their full 28-spec package on the bike until Buriram. Um, so how do we assess Yamaha's position now? I mean, in race one in Thailand, they were arguably perhaps disappointing again. Lowe's got them up to fifth in the end uh, in that first race, but they were still not in a position really to trouble the podium. Um, but surely they showed in race two in Thailand that they are in a position, perhaps more than they were last year, to take advantage. Perhaps the race two will be the race that Yamaha target this year.
2: Well, there's no doubt about it. The pressure is on because it's their third full season back now. 2015, you know, they had all the sorry 16, they had all of the excuses of the first year back. Um, 17, they didn't have the excuses. It still, still didn't happen. Into 18, we think, well, okay, right, they're really going to hit hard now, bang straight in. No, it still didn't happen, and we're thinking, what on earth is going on? But even before Australia, even back at Jerez testing in January, there were feelings around the paddock that the Yamaha, I'm not going to say they were running with a 2017 bike in Australia, but they definitely were not running with a full spec 18 bike, which is what they've been planning to do for one reason or another. They didn't have the Japanese engineers in the garage. They didn't have all of the updates they wanted. So really, I think Australia was a damage limitation exercise for them. Um, because, yeah, they were closer in the second race there, but that doesn't really count because we had the pit stops, tyre wear wasn't in. If you look at the results of race one from Australia, they were a long way back if you look at the gap in time. So finally, then they've got the season underway. Uh, I thought it was great, incidentally. I don't know what you thought, Lewis, the fact those two riders. And we know there's a bit of needle between Van der Mark and Lowe's, but they've gone side by side on track quite a few times already this year. They've never run into each other, have they, to be fair? Wow. So all credit to everyone there.
0: You could, sense uh, the, you could sense the determination, can't you? That they both want to be the yeah. first Yamaha winner
2: on their return. You'd be surprised if they did run into each other. I mean, I bet, thank goodness it hasn't happened, and I hope it doesn't. But like Sykes and Ray, you wouldn't be surprised if it happened, would you? But it's great. The two—they're two, they're great guys. They're really good with the press. They're really good with the fans. They're popular on the TV. They're funny, aren't they? Vandermark and Lowe's quite humorous interviews, uh, and they're quick. They are quick, but at the same time, the pressure is on because they still haven't won a race. And not just those riders, but Yamaha. Uh, and the pressure's definitely on. I think you're right. They probably will focus on race two, but they've got to they've got to bang points in all the races. They really mm. do need to be there. Um, I suppose qualifying could be an area where they could improve on the one lap. Alex Lowe's, though, is saying his difficulty at the moment, and it happened in both races at Burira, is the first 11 or 12 laps, first half of the race, with a heavier fuel load and a newer tyre. He's still struggling there. What can they do to change? Well, I'm not super technical, but electronics is probably the main thing they can work on. It's a bit like the Aprilia's last year when you heard Laverty always saying it was difficult, in, you know, through the race. And the BMW, actually. And it's all electronic strategies they can play around with. But definitely, definitely relief in Thailand as well as satisfaction. They've got to keep it up now. It's, it's no good just having a double podium in Thailand. So I hope that doesn't sound like I'm being harsh, by the way, on Yamaha. But the fact of the matter is they do need to keep doing that. Otherwise, they will lose ground in the championship.
0: Mm. Uh, One look at the Manufacturers Championship certainly tells us who the big movers are of this season. And it's Honda, who were bottom of the championship last season. They're up in fourth at the moment, uh, largely down to Leon Camier. uh, Is this just a rider who's elevated the team? Have the team improved the Fireblade or a combination of the two?
2: A uh, combination of the two, I would say. We know Cami is a very good development rider, uh, and it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? Last year, I think it's a combination. They're going very well this year, and last year was a disaster, an absolute, complete and utter disaster. It could not have been any worse. Not only was the performance bad, and again, that probably sounds like I'm being very critical, but they couldn't argue against it, could they? I mean, it, it was an absolute nightmare. Uh, Nikki Hayden, we lost, which was appalling you know i still quite can't believe he's not here but just imagine the emotional effect that would have on you if you're working in the team everything was thrown up in the air riders coming riders going Uh, morale was obviously absolutely at rock bottom camia has brought a new lease of life to that honda team honda motor europe are working very very hard the 10 carter team has had a massive reshuffle peter Bredels, their technical coordinator is no longer there Marco Keeney left. Good people, by the way, but it's still, it's been a change. They're having to get used to all the new people. Kevin Bosch is the new team manager. Ronald Ten Carter taking a step back. It's obviously things they've been looking at and thinking about and they've made these decisions uh, for one reason or another. My worry here is that they still need to change the electronics. They're still on the Cosworth, yeah. which is a really good ECU, but there's a feeling we're going to have the spec ECU for 2019. And even if we don't, They really want to get onto the Morelli as quickly as possible because there's just greater scope. You know, there's a lot more they can do with it. But not only do they need to adapt it to the bike, the engineers would have never worked with it before, quite possibly. They need to understand how it works. You could make the same change with the software with the Morelli, and it might have a completely different effect to what the Cosworth system would have. That's going to take a lot of time to get their head around that. Testing is very limited. Had a test at Monte Blanco in Spain recently. There's another one coming up at Assen. My worry there, Lewis, is that what's going to happen with Honda is what happened with Suzuki back in 15. Back to Swan, exactly. So it makes you wonder whether they could keep that Cosworth for the rest of the year, but then they've got to say, oh, you know, what do they? What it is a difficult one. Do you keep the Cosworth on and keep getting the strong results while Jacobson and Triple M continue developing the Magneti Morelli system, or do you switch now? Drop right back through the field, because that's what will happen. No way will Cameo be up towards the front as he is now when they change. It's going to take a long time. Uh, That's a really difficult one. The feeling we've got at the moment is that they're going to stay with the Cosworth for Aragon and Assen. So that should be interesting. I reckon he's going to be really strong at Assen. He could well be on the podium there. Um, So, yeah, it's a really difficult one to assess. At the moment, though, it is proving that that bike wasn't as bad as everyone said it was last year. It proves how good Leon Kamiya is. And I think Jake Gagné is going really well as well.
0: And the team deserve whatever way we we describe it, they deserve an awful lot of credit. Just from consulting the results of race one in Thailand last year, when admittedly the new Fireblade was in its infancy. Um, Nicky Hayden on the first of the Hondas that time was 33 seconds off the race winner. And last weekend, Leon Kamiya was only three seconds back. Um, So it's an incredible jump that they've made. Uh, However, that jump has come about. Um, Aprilia uh, we're going to talk about next and really when we talk about Aprilia we can't really talk about their bike um, or the improvements that they've made to it I mean they started the Phillip Island weekend very very well, they were very very close to being on pole there um, with Eugene Laverty mm. and Savdory was quickest uh, on the Friday before he had his accident which ruled him out of the rest of the weekend through injury and now they've lost, lost Eugene Laverty to injury, I mean we're not going to see him again it appears until Donington Park but we should just be thankful that that the guy's all right i mean that could have been so much worse
2: it really could it was not a nice situation everybody was very very worried we didn't see what happened but we know what happened now that there's two reasons there either the trap cameras didn't capture it because of course there's only a limited number of cameras they're having to follow all of the pack at the same time or quite possibly it was captured somewhere uh, but the dawna crew elected not to show us which i can completely understand because it would have been a very well, let's just say not a very nice thing to see because Laverty made a mistake. He came off, Torres went over him. Very, very lucky boy or unlucky, depending on your point of view. Uh, let's not forget Jordi Torres as well. It's good that he's all right because he obviously suffered a crash as well on the MV, which is a shame. Um, but yeah, Laverty was a shame. You can't believe it, can you? Just as they're making some decent progress, their top rider comes off, gets hurt. Exactly the same race where Savadori was hurt last year as well, if you remember. We had a red flag last year. In race two, Savadori got hurt. So poor old Aprilia and poor old Milwaukee. They've lost their top rider now. That's really going to put them on the back foot. That is the last thing they needed to happen. And no I don't know who they're going to put either, on yeah. the bike. No, yeah, exactly. No replacement. There's a real short. So it's my, my bet would go on, um, I would say, Max Sheeb, who is one of the top riders in the European Stock 1000 Championship. And Aprilia does have a complete full factory effort there this year. So I reckon they could put Sheeb on that bike um I'm, I'm hearing all sorts of things i even heard a rumor earlier today about jonas Folger um possibly racing i don't know whether that's true or not who knows but um they are very limited because BSB is going to be racing at brands on the aragon weekend for world Superbikes. um all of the other top riders are sort of contracted to different manufacturers sean muir said to me the other day sylvain Tony was the obvious the obvious bet because he knows the aprilia but he's with suzuki stefan braddle's contracted to honda So who knows what they're going to do. But it's a great, great shame. Um, I said before the year I couldn't see that bike winning a race this year, which seems like a bit of a harsh thing to say. But at the moment, I'm afraid with this happening as well now, it's not making it look any easier. Um, One more thing I can add to this as well, Lewis. It's slightly off topic, but I know Sean Muir has received various uh, requests and options and offers from other people for next year. The, the feeling is that team won't even be running the Aprilia next year. So I reckon Suzuki's a possibility and BMW's a really strong possibility. But they're saying they will only run with a full manufacturer effort. They're definitely not going in as a privateer team. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Max Shee, by the way, for those who aren't aware of him, is a, a Chilean rider who's won races in the the now defunct CEV. Uh, Superbike Championship and is racing in stock 1,000 this year. Um, we mentioned uh, Jordi Torres previously, of course, he was the other half of that dreadful accident with Eugene Laverty. And whilst that was a very unsavoury and unfortunate end to his weekend, they showed flashes of promise in Thailand too. Torres was right up the front in Super Superpole.
2: It does. And we mustn't forget what people have said in the past, because I think sometimes we all live in the moment where, you know, everybody in racing tends to look forward and not backwards, apart from people like us, maybe, who really appreciate the history. And that's what makes the championship what it is now, isn't it? What's happened in the past. But if you look back for a moment, what were some of the questions we were saying last year? Just how good is Leon Camier was one of them. Uh, and just how good is the MV Augusta? Well, Camier, we knew how good he was, to be fair. And he's proving it again on the Honda. And MV Augusta are proving that actually they're not as bad as some people say, are they? That team does not have any factory support. It used to, but it doesn't anymore. And it hasn't for a good two years or so now. Torres is a very accomplished and competent rider as well. Former Moto2 Grand Prix rider. He won a race there in Germany. Twice a CV Moto2 champion. Torres is a very, very good rider and he's proving it. Race pace, they're still struggling. He said the tyre was slipping on the rim in race one. it's not the first time Torres has had tyre problems, unfortunately. He had one in Australia, had one at Mizano last year with the BMW, if you remember, when he was running for on for a podium at that stage. Um, So, yeah, they've got work to do. They've definitely got work to do in terms of race pace. He was 10th, I think it was, in Thailand race one. And then, obviously, we'll never know now for race two because he came off with Laverty. But they're getting there. They're getting there. They're pretty much where we expected them to be, I think. Top 10s, you know, you've got to look at what everyone should imagine coming into the year and you have to think at the moment torres has got to aim for a top 10 but he could be top five i think maybe with a little bit of luck but especially with the way things are going this year you never know do you i would say mv are equalling expectations at the moment certainly not exceeding them but definitely equalling them
0: where did bmw fall then in terms of their expectations i mean they're fifth in the manufacturers championship at the moment ahead of uh, aprilia and mv Augusta, so largely down to the fact that Bass has scored in every race and bank the points, whereas the Prillyer and MV, as we've discussed already, have had their their issues and they've had a number of non-scores so far this season. Um, but all of those points finishes that Baz has had have been in the second half of the points, um, and he's benefited particularly in uh, Thailand race two. He was towards the back of the field and benefited through the uh, high attrition rate there. So this is a team that a team and a bike in terms of this BMW that seems to be lagging behind the rest, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, this is probably going to sound a bit hard, but I'd say they've probably been now, over the course of two rounds, four races, I'd say they've probably been the biggest disappointment, wouldn't you? Because we expected more, didn't we? We expected a lot more. We've got to add here that it's not a factory effort at all. There is a little bit of support from BMW Germany, but it's not a factory team. Um, And the Altea team has had some stick as well. When that handlebar snapped off in practice in Australia, people were saying around the paddock, that looks very much as though that bike's literally come out of the crate from Qatar and come here to Australia, not being prepared properly. Your handlebar should not be snapping off. It's not because he'd hit something. It's just a weakness or something's not been connected properly. That shouldn't happen. It's happened before and probably it'll happen again to some people, but it shouldn't happen. Um, so down went bad. Broke his collarbone, the poor guy. We know how good Loris Baz is. I mean, he's won superbike races in the past. He was Tom Sykes' teammate. Gave Sykes a real run for his money before he went off to most of GP. And did really well Motor MotoGP as well, didn't they, on a two-year-old bike, scoring fourth-place finishes, missing the podium narrowly a couple of times. So I think the BMW package, though, with the Altea team probably has been the biggest disappointment so far. It'll be interesting to hear what Loris Bass says about it. But we've hardly seen anything of him, have we, on the TV. He's been right back, as you say, right in the pack. They've got work to do, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, it's been a real shame, hasn't it? Let's quickly touch on the lower classes then before we let you go. World Super Sport, two rounds in, we have co-championship leaders um, in Lucas myas and Randy Krimenaka. Um And before we talk about them, though, we have to talk about the former champion, the greatest rider in the history of the, of the class, who still manages um, to dominate the headlines, even though he's had a, a very, <laughs> very mixed start to the season. He's only got a few points, and he's been injured again. Keenan Safoglu, who it's sad to say we might well have seen the last of him, Greg, in World Supersport.
2: Yeah, we don't know if we have, but I, my feeling is we probably have, I'm afraid. Not in the paddock. Obviously, he's going to be working with his proteges, top right resgatio, glue and others. But I think as a rider, it might well be curtains. He's got nothing to uh, be sad about, really, apart from the way it may have ended. I hope I'm wrong, Lewis. I really do, although it's a tricky one now to call. Do you know what I think is the difference now? When he came off in Australia, I think it scared him. I think he was genuinely frightened by what happened there and what could have happened to him. Let's not forget, when he raced in Qatar last year, it was unbelievable. But it was almost bordering, you could say, on lunacy. That's what a few people have said in the paddock. He
0: almost seems to be suffering from that now, doesn't he?
2: Exactly. He's suffering from that. He did all right in Qatar. Well, he did brilliantly in Qatar. He almost won the World Championship. He set a new lap record. He was on the (laughs) the podium. Unbelie- ridiculously unbelievable. Unbelievable. If it was the a GP rider, somebody would have made a film about Keenan Safoglu and his life story a long time ago. But let's just put this into perspective. He's lost his father. He's lost not one, but two brothers in road accidents. Toprak, he's like a brother to Keenan. Toprak's father was killed in a road accident last November in Turkey. Keenan lost his little baby boy, Hamza, in 2015. He's now got his great, lovely wife, Julia, little baby, here, And I think just possibly, you know, for the first time in his life, he's thinking, you know what? Do I really need to be putting myself through this anymore? He's come off in Australia, 155 miles an hour, tyre blowout, stone a corner of all places. He could have died, you know, not from the accident itself. But if he damaged his hip again, which is still weak from before, and he did damage it again, he could have killed himself. And that's what he'll be thinking. I know it sounds a bit harsh and a bit you know, close to home. But that is what happened. That's the fact of it. So anyway, I think it's now just going to depend on how his physical condition is. Uh, but my personal feeling is we should expect probably an official statement from Keenan Safogu at Aragon or even before Aragon. So any time now, really, saying that he won't be back. Like I say, I could be wrong. In a way, I hope I am. But if, it, but if we're not wrong and if that does happen, he retires. What a career. He has every single record in World Sport. Most titles, most wins, most polls, fastest laps, front rows, podiums, laps, layers, everything. Unbelievable career. Yeah, he'll go
0: down as the greatest world Supersport rider of them all, won't he? I mean, he would have been fronting the Kawasaki Challenge this season uh, in the Supersport yeah. class. Uh, and without Sufoglu, and perhaps even if he'd raced anyway, um, looking at the first two rounds of the championship and the brilliant final corner battle we saw uh, between Mayas and Krumanaka in Thailand, um, and as well, the two riders who finished immediately behind them in both races. I don't think it will be going out on too much of a limb, Greg, to say that this year's championship is going to be won by somebody on a Yamaha R6.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. We thought it before and it's been confirmed, isn't it? It's going to be amazing. Will we even get a non-Yamaha win this year? If Safoglu's gone, doesn't leave you many options. Maybe Ant-West, somebody like that on a Kawasaki, in a dry race, I mean, because obviously mm-hmm. if it rains, anything can happen, can't it? But MV Augusta are struggling. There's not many of them in the field either for development purposes. Honda, well, they're struggling as well. I mean, there's so many Yamahas, you have to think they might well win all of the races this year, all 12 races. Um, It's the bike to go with though, isn't it? And it's a shame in a way that you keep hearing rumours about what's going to happen with the Supersport 600 cars, not just in Britain, but in the World Championship as well. The races are always, and they always have been, fantastic. I know the level might not be quite as high as some of the other cars. I know we don't maybe have... Well, not this year, actually, but the last few years, you could argue there haven't been quite so many people challenging for wins. But the racing has always been top class. And this year, there's so many people who can win races. I thought Krummenacker did a phenomenal job in Thailand. If you actually, I thought about it on the, I think it was Monday night. I was actually just thinking to myself, wow, he's gone out there and beaten Luca Myas in a clean fight. And you saw Luca was really, really disappointed because he knows he could have won that one. I think Sandro Cortese's had a phenomenal start. We've seen riders coming from Grand Prix racing before and struggling. Well, he's certainly not. He'll be on the podium and probably winning before you know it. And then watch out for people like Karakasula. He's calmed it right down from how he used to be. He's not crashing it quite as much anymore. So, yeah, I think that's going to go right down to the wire. And if it was anything like Thailand, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? Bumping into each other over the line. But... (laughs) Fair, but hard, and it's exactly how we like it. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe Jules Cluzel will be involved as well. they can stop yes. walk, walking under ladders and, and kicking black cats and oh, smashing yeah. mirrors. The guy, oh. the guy has no hope, yeah, I mean, does what,
2: he? What's he done? What has he done? So I just forgot Cluzel then. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, that one, though, you did think, ah, oh, Jules, I couldn't believe it, throws it down the road from the lead. Maybe it just proves, though, that he's having to push a little bit too much at the moment to stay up front. Um, you know, should he have done a Jonathan Ray and picked up the points instead of throwing it down the road and losing 25? I don't know. But that right. team, the NRP team, didn't even do any testing. They did no testing at all, nothing, before we got to Philip Island. So they are on the back foot.
0: Mm. And uh, yeah, Cluzell's 36 points already off the championship lead. And of course, with Super Sport only racing yeah. once per weekend, um, not so many races to make that back up. Uh, just right. by then, before we let you go, Greg, uh, next round of the championship is arrow Aragon. Of course, that sees the. Return of both the Stock 1000 Championship and, of course, the second ever World Supersport 300 Championship. Um, and it was a class that really improved leaps and bounds as the year went on last year. Um, and a class that made history in many respects. It provided us with the first female winner of a World Championship race in Carrasco. Um, we saw the first Indonesian winner of a race at the end of the season with Hendra winning in, in Hareth as well. Um, and it's a championship that looks wide open again this year, doesn't it? We have a number of big names sticking around, the likes of DeRue uh, is sticking around, uh, Valle is sticking around. Um, we also have uh, int- the introduction of Maria Herrera, who, of course, has a, a successful record in-, in Moto3 as well. Um, again, a-, a wide open class this, particularly with the top two who, com- who competed for last year's championship, Garcia now in CEV, Moto3, and Coppola as an ESS runner in Supersport. Very, very difficult to call this, isn't it?
2: It is difficult to call. And while I'm talking to you, you might just hear me. I'm just unzipping my bag to get my uh, one of my, fol- my commentary folders out. I'm just going to have a look at the entry list while I'm talking to you because you just reeled off so many great names there. And it's almost impossible to call it, isn't it? Like you say, I'm just looking down the list now. Um, I mean, you've mentioned some of them already, but from some of the others, you've got Enzo Dalla Vega, uh, Nick Kalinin, the really quick rider from the Ukraine. I actually picked a favourite. I mean, Mika Perez, we shouldn't forget Perez. He's on a Kawasaki as well this year now and not a Honda anymore. Um, I picked a favourite out of these, you know, a few weeks ago. I and I think I went actually for Glenn van Stralen, who's number 15 on one of the KTMs. Uh, Glenn van Strahlen was very quick, actually, in the KTM World Final in Jerez last year. But it's impossible to say, isn't it? Yeah, we the get KTMs the... did look good when they turned up in Jerez too. They did, yeah. And, you know, it's very difficult to say what, what's going to happen there. So watch out for the KTMs. We only saw them on the grid at the end of last year. It's obviously the KTM 390. It's a bit confusing. It's Supersport 300, but you've got the 390, the Yamaha R3, Kawasaki Ninja 300, but there's a 400 out now as well. So I don't know whether that will be racing there perhaps next year. And obviously the Honda CBR 500. Um, but anyway, the point I'm trying to get at is it's easy to forget that Supersport has balancing rules a bit like what Superbike has this year. They can change the rev limits. They can change the weight limits as the season goes on. And does anyone even think about that now? No, because you get 15 riders fighting for the win. Does anyone actually care if the rules are being balanced? You know, really, you're armchair fan. And I think that's why we'll probably forget eventually that it's happening in Superbike as well, because everyone just wants a close, close race. Quick shout-out for the Brits. You've got Tris Fanocchiaro on a Honda and Alex Murley on a Yamaha with Team Toth. Speaking with Alex quite recently, Lewis, he's still with um, Team Toth on a Yamaha, as I say. He's actually changed a lot of personnel now, though. He's got all of his own mechanics around him. He was the only British rider to score points last year. I'm expecting, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm expecting him to be still a little bit down on power, but they, they reckon they've made some ground. So let's see what Alex Murley can do. Can he get it on the podium? Could he win a race? It's not going to be easy. It's going to be far from easy. It's going to be really difficult. But let's see what he can do this year. Yeah, we look
0: forward to seeing how that class unfolds. We certainly saw as the year unfolded at circuits such as Assen uh, and Jerez that that class is absolutely brilliant in the right yeah. environment. Um, we look forward to seeing how that unfolds and how the World Superbike Championship continues to unfold. And uh, we'll no doubt catch up with you again later in the season to see how the championship is progressing. Greg Haynes, many, many thanks for joining us again.
2: Thanks a lot, Lewis. Um, I should just mention Borges Sanchez as well, because he's switched teams, so he's another quick Spaniard. Yeah, um, you know what? I'm also looking forward to Freddie Spencer joining us on Eurosport for Aragon. It'll be Freddie's first commentary with us this year. So, yeah, to anyone who's listening, thanks again uh, for all of your tweets and everything across the season. If you've got a question for Freddie Spencer, get tweeting for Aragon. I actually... Do not know what's going to happen
0: <laughs> yeah huge thank you to greg haynes for joining us this week once again on bike live and we look forward to his contributions throughout the season um right then let's look back on the other racing to take place last weekend and it was the opening round of the fim cev uh repsol series which takes place all over spain although last weekend started in portugal at esteril the circuit that we all long for a return of uh, in grand prix racing Um, The Moto3 Junior World Championship, the Moto2 European Championship and the European Talent Cup all got underway uh, last weekend. And if you've followed Moto3 at all over the last three years, uh, you'll know that this series produces a lot of talent. Um, Manuel Pagliani started the season with a victory. Uh, He's a rider who, of course, did race in Moto3's World Championship last season. Um, he is now the Leopard Junior rider um, and he took the first victory of the season from pole position ahead of the Spaniard Raul Fernandez on the Angel Nieto team KTM uh, with Vicente Perez on the Avintia bike in third. Uh, Yuki Kuni, uh, another Japanese talent, there are lots of them on the rise now um, in motorcycle racing. He finished fourth ahead of the Supersport 300 world champion, Mark Garcia, who of course is riding for Max Biatchi's team in, Supersport in, uh, in CTV this year. Uh, he made his World Championship Junior debut and finished 5th um, on the KTM, ahead of Yari Montella of Italy. Um, Jason DePasquier, Pasquier, who, um, despite the name, might sound a little American, he is Swiss. is um, 7th ahead of the Czech, Philip Salak. The Thai, uh, Somkiat Chantra, who won a Super Sport 300 race at Jerez last year. Uh, and Ricardo Rossi, no relation, even though he's Italian. Uh, he finished 10th. Tom Booth Amos, who uh, is the, was the dominant Motostar champion last year, uh, qualified in the middle of the front row in second on the British Talent Team bike, um, but unfortunately it suffered a mechanical problem which ruled him out of the race um, and cost him any hope of points. Also, uh, Pagliani leads the early championship standings. They only raced once last weekend, so he leads Fernandez by five points. Um, the Moto2 class, which is the European Championship, they raced twice, uh, and it saw a victory apiece for Ivo lopez and the Swiss Jesko Raffin. Uh, Raffin leads the championship, by I bet you his third in race one. Um, he is riding for the Swiss Innovative Investors Junior Team, uh, so essentially the junior team to the team that Sam Lowe's rides for in the World Championship. Um, he is one point clear of Augusto Fernandez, um, who rides a suitor. He had two second places, um, with Lopez in third place, having had a sixth place finish in race two, uh, with Dimas Eki Pratama, the Indonesian, uh, fourth in both races, and fourth in the championship. The European Talent Cup, which is also a Moto3 spec series, they're all on Hondas. Um, Julian Giral took a victory in a second, um, so he leads the championship after one round, ahead of the Belgian Barry Baltus, who took the victory in race one, but was only third in race two. Francisco Gomez, another Spaniard, um, he's third in the championship after finishing second in the second race of the weekend. Uh, Right, one more piece of news to bring you before we wrap up on this week's edition of Bike Live. As I told you earlier on, it is a bit of a blockbuster um, because Dre, the Suzuka 8 Tower has been a star-studded race in previous years, as we know. It's already seen uh, Honda rolling out big guns. The likes of Casey Stoner and Jack Miller have ridden for them in previous years, Michael Vandermark as well. Um, We've seen him race for Yamaha. We've seen the likes of Spargo and Smith rolled out for Yamaha in recent years as they've taken three victories on the bounce um, in the Suzuka 8 Hours. Well, Kawasaki won't in on this. Um, they came fairly close last year, finishing second in the Suzuka 8 Tower. Um, and they've broken out the big guns for this year. Leon Haslam rode for them last year. Um, he's riding again for them this year, along with one of the Japanese test riders for Kawasaki. Um, but nothing suggests that Kawasaki are taking this seriously this year. More than the fact that they have broken out the best superbike racer on the planet. Jonathan Ray is racing the 8 Tower.
1: Duh. <laughs> they're coming to win <laughs> they're, they're, yeah they're not, they're not they're not they're not playing they're not playing they're, they're, you're being the you're bringing the best superbike rider on the planet to the Suzuka eight hours kind of a big deal that one i mean if there's one thing i noticed about jonathan ray after winning title number three last year it's that he is a god back home in japan like yeah. the amount of press conferences and, and respect that he was getting out there like representing kawasaki back home was huge it like it, it was massive so the Suzuki Great hours just became an even bigger deal than it was before especially dude, to the dude. home audience
0: he, he uh, he's immediately the biggest name in the race and it is a race full of big names
1: yes exactly um that's exactly what it is um it's a huge deal. Um, Haslam put in an almighty shift last year to, to even make that team competitive. Um, anyone that can take the take the pressure off him a little bit will be great. But Haslam and Jonathan Ray, what a team that is! Um, one of the best domestic superbike riders in the world and the reigning world champion. Um, not a not not a bad line, not by any stretch of the imagination. Huge deal, fantastic pull for the series, awesome across the board.
0: Yeah, they've broken out the best Superbike rider, rider on the planet, arguably of all time. Um, so yeah, bring on June for the 8th hour. Um, it's going to be a brilliant, brilliant event. Yeah, Johnny Ray, Leon Haslam and Kazuma Watanabe, um, the uh, Kawasaki test rider, will make up their team. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting thinking of uh, what the other team is going to prize. If you're going to imagine Yamaha, if they do run their 21 again, um, the bike that's won the last three eight hours. Um, you'd imagine it's going to be Vandermark and Lowe's plus Nakasuga again um, for them this year. Um, so uh, they're going to take some stopping. Um, but we're also going to have Honda, who last year ran Jack Miller, but obviously he's now a Ducati rider. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Honda do this year. I'm not sure Cal Crutchlow will be convinced into it um, as much as he'd want to. Um, so it'll be but, interesting to see what uh, Honda do this year, uh, whether they just roll out Cameo for the eight hour. Um There'd be worse riders to call upon, wouldn't there? Um, for uh, oh. Honda and their Majushi Heart Pro to, uh, team. So, uh, yeah. What a race. It always is every year at Suzuka. It is one of the great motorcycle races in the world. Um, and as I say, this year's, it's got even greater. Jonathan Ray, the world champion, uh, will be riding for Kawasaki in this year's Suzuka 8 Hour. Um, right then. This brings us to the end of episode 15. of Bike Life for Motorsport 1. A huge thank you to Greg Haynes once again for joining us um, this week. A huge thank you once again to Andre Harrison for joining me this week. Um, Next week sees us uh, move into episode 130 uh, of Motorsport 101. And um, it's a bit of a, we're a bit of limbo next week, aren't we, Dre? Because Formula 1 is in between weeks. There's no Formula E. And IndyCar, quizzing uh, sort of strangely, have uh, implemented a near six-week gap between rounds one and two.
1: Yeah, like, IndyCar is, like, next weekend, um, I believe, in Phoenix, um, which is a shame. This is the first oval round of the year, so a lot of hype over those new era kits are going to go away, unfortunately, because that should be a big deal. But unfortunately, for some reason, IndyCar had St. Pete, and it's like, yeah, let like a month between rounds. That seems like a really good cool idea. Um, like, who thought of that? Um, I want them shot. Taking a couple um, of the tips off World Superbike, clearly clearly like, oh, let's, let's have massive breaks in the middle of the season for no good reason um, but yes as you say episode 130 minutes 101 will be next week Sadly, it's kind of a weird one because there isn't any mainstream motorsport series really out there having a big one, unless you're a World Rallycross fan. Yeah, if you're that way, if you're that way inclined. Um, so we might wing it this one. We might make it a mailbag slash keeping it 101. Not really motorsport fiend, but hey, let's give it a go anyway. Sort of special. Mm-hmm. Um, so. All I'm saying is, if you want to jump the curve and get a few questions in by tweeting us at Motorsport underscore 101 or tweeting me at Harrison 101 HD, I'm just saying it might jump the queue a little bit. Just throwing it out there. Episode 130 of Motorsport 101, probably unscripted next week. Um, let's see, we'll see if we can if we can botch, botch together a show out of nothing. <laughs> yeah. uh, we usually manage. We're probably quite
0: good at time filling on this show, uh, and uh, from our experience as well, the unscripted shows tend to be the most fun as well, because um, you just end up shooting the shit for an hour and a half. Um, so yeah, whatever happens, uh, we oh, don't yeah. we, we we don't do weeks off on uh, round here at Motorsport One one oh one, So you will get uh-huh. a show, guys. Um, whatever happens, and uh, yeah, like I say, if you tweet us at underscore One, you might be able to shape what kind of show we have. Uh, next week um, at motorsport underscore 101. Other places you can find is facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101. Our website is motorsport101.net and if you want to back us financially and yourself early access to both of our weekly shows, um, then back us at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. Um, that's all for us then episode 52 here of Bike Live. We are back next week as well for episode 53 whereas we will break down the opening weekend of the 2018 british superbike season which gets underway on easter monday we look forward to breaking Yay. down all of that as the shaky burn title defense begins at the ripe old age of 42 um that's all to come next week for myself andre harrison many thanks to, for you to listening many thanks for greg haynes for joining us too and we'll catch you guys next week bye for now